The type of fortitude forged from falling apart flesh. Uh, liquid lace lung and flim swims inside his chest. Uh, blood test positive. Babies begin to notice race at six months old. Children are paying attention. And as we've learned this season, what they hear the adults in their lives say and do, or not say and do, deeply influences the people they are and who they'll become. I'm Erin Wilson, Preemptive Love's Senior Field Editor in Iraq, and you're listening to Love Anyway. A majority of Americans say race relations in the U.S. are bad. And of those, about two-thirds told Pew Research Center it has become more common for people to express racist or racially insensitive views since 2016. And it's not just the U.S. Racism runs rampant in obvious and hidden ways around the world. The European Union's Fundamental Human Rights Agency found that race-related violence, discriminatory police profiling, and discrimination in the search for jobs and housing are sky-high in many European countries. For white people like me, we have the privilege to choose to enter conversations about racism. But people of color don't have that choice. Rapper and activist Propaganda and his wife, university professor Dr. Alma Zaragoza Petty, talked with our producer Kayla Craig for a candid conversation about parenting and talking to kids about race. Check, 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 check. Sure. Yeah. So my name is Jason, uh, also as Propaganda. Um, I am an artist in residence this year for 2019 at uh, Preemptive Love. I do poetry, hip hop, you know, some activism and uh, one half of the Red Couch podcast. And I am Alma or Dr. ZP, as I was called when I was a professor. And I am also I'm the other half of the Red Couch podcast. And I work for a nonprofit mentoring low-income first-generation youth through college. They've been married for 10 years, and they live in Los Angeles with their two daughters. Yeah, two kids. One just turned four. The other's turning 14 in two weeks. So that's quite a spread. But yeah, we're both like type A's. I statements. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Make I statements. Make I statements. Okay. She's a type A. <laughs> no, both like just high capacity, you know, highly passionate about what we do. There's a lot of overlap in what our passions are about. So we we hug tightly to a Google calendar and in the midst of kind of balancing our like public passions, we want to make sure we're putting our children first, our home first, our own sort of mental and spiritual health uh as a priority and just kind of like getting our kids on planes when they can and uh, figuring out when they can't and when we shouldn't get on planes and yeah, just kind of all that. I work very closely with uh, students through the scholarship program that um, my organization sponsors and yeah, just being able to see, you know, students of color, students from uh, really marginalized backgrounds be able to go to college As Preemptive Love staff, we gather online once a week for a video call. Sometimes we open the floor to process what's happening in our cities, states, and countries. The wisdom and insight Prop brings is parallel to none. My thing is more like culture from a like 30,000 foot perspective. So like how does sort of all those things 
whether it's economics, education, you know, racism, justice, equality, like arts, cinema, you know, how they all sort of are like intertwining and working with each other. And then when you, when you get back down at the ground level, like how are we sort of interacting to create this like sort of flourishing of civilization? I know it's so huge, but like, that's the type of stuff that like really gets me jazzed. So when I like see things that are like ground level, really working to make a lot of positive change in the world, to me, it's like, it gets me excited because I can see how that sort of connects with other parts of culture and society and how that all works together. And I just like try to link arms with those that are like in the trenches doing those things and kind of uplift those stories, tell those stories and translate them to other people that may not know that that's what's happening on the other side of the city or the other side of the world. So like, to me, it's, it's the understanding of culture as a whole is the part that like gets my juices going. Yeah. I love that. So do you have a story of maybe a time when you kind of brought your daughters along for the ride and they were part of the work that you're doing and the things that you're passionate about? When I was living in Oakland over 10 years ago, I remember just bringing Luna along with her scooter whenever we would go to marches. Like this was when there was protests for, you know, Black Lives Matter and just like the Oscar Grant uh, situation that happened there in the Bay Area. I remember just bringing her along with her scooter and her like scootering along as we were protesting, like me and some friends. And that was kind of probably the beginning of her being involved. Oscar Grant was a 22-year-old Black man who was fatally shot in the early morning hours of New Year's Day 2009 in Oakland, California, by a Bay Area rapid transit police officer. But Alma doesn't take the decision to involve her children lightly. Just developmentally, because of my background in education, I tend to err on the side of like caution and like temperance in the way that we want to like unleash all of like the horribleness of humanity (laughs) and what we've done on like young ones. So, whereas I don't. Whereas I think Jason takes a much more scared straight approach. (laughs) (laughs) This is the world you're going to be in. Yeah. Yeah. How do they balance their parenting perspectives? Prop put it this way they incorporate their values into everyday lived experiences. This is our ebbs and flows of life. We step in for the vulnerable. We participate in things when we see that there's injustice. This is just, this is just a part of our everyday goings, you know? And if you're just, if she's just around this, not like mommy, daddy going to work, but this is what we do as a family. So with our daughter, the oldest one, she started picking up on, you know, whether it was like looking over our shoulder on the news or like, what is everybody talking about? Why is this fair? Why is this happening? She started picking it up on things on herself, realizing, uh, you know, on her own that, oh man, I have a black father. That's he's a black man. And if he leaves, there might be situations where the police may not treat him fair. You know, she kind of picked that up on her own by us just participating in moments that it was happening in culture, just as a normal ebb and flow for our families. It's kind of how we've been like working through those sort of conversations. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Do you have a certain, any memory or story of sitting down and having a really intentional talk about race? You know, you kind of mentioned they hear things on TV, they make those connections. Is that kind of the path that it goes or have you sat down and had like a really 
kind of one-on-one conversation about what it can look like to be a black man from your perspective? Yeah. I have with my big one. Like I said, she's 14. So like it was coming up, you know, I think it first started when I uh, came to pick her up from elementary school and some like other little girl at the school was just flabbergasted that I was her dad, you know, because she's full-blooded Mexican. She's from a previous relationship with Alma. So she was just so confused as to why that other little girl doesn't understand that I'm her father, you know, like it just, the thought just didn't cross her mind that this was different. So like her sort of trying to understand herself, period, you know, and in the world that she lived in, in turn, started the conversation with me. Now, I come from a background, like like she said, like, kick you out the bird's nest, you got to fly type way of understanding your ethnicity. Because that's, unfortunately, like, as a black man, it's it's, a, it's like kind of not an option. Like, you got to like, you got to learn this quick, you know? Um, so I, that was my only window into how to parent a person of color. So that's what I did. She's in third grade. I'm showing her slave ships and the middle passage. And like, this is how we got here. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, we need to rent roots, watch 12 years of slave, you know, just stuff that's wildly inappropriate for her age. I was doing that with her to the point to where she was afraid of, afraid for me to like leave the house. <laughs> so, yeah. So like I had to like sit down and say, there are things about being black that are beautiful that are like, I am very proud of, you know, but unfortunately live in a country that like has not always seen us as equals. So like, it's kind of to the place to where it's like, I'm not going, Hey, on Tuesday, sit down. I want to talk to you about this, but more like as she is facing situations, I'm trying to guide her through them. Yeah. And I would just add to that as people of color who are pretty well educated and have gone through their own either prejudice or racist kind of experiences, like we're very aware of things and can point out like microaggressions to her and can point out like different kinds of things happening where <laughs> I don't know, like in an average home that would happen. And so I don't remember a time where we weren't talking about race. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it was never an option. But. Yeah. I don't know. So it's hard to say like there's this one conversation we had because I feel like we've always kind of had conversations as yeah. as it's come up because we don't have the option as non-white people to not think about race. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of reminds me of another question I wanted to ask you. How has your upbringing and your own childhood affected how you are now coming to the table as a parent and raising the next generation? Like all of us, Prop says the way his parents raised him was tied to their own personal sociopolitical experiences. His father is from the Jim Crow South. He grew up in Dallas, moved to Los Angeles, became a Black Panther, and went into the Vietnam War. His survival and defense mechanism, as Prop puts it, was living in a constant state of trauma, and it influenced how he parented. His mother, on the other hand, was from Washington, D.C., and brought her own perspectives as a Black woman to the table. It has all influenced his parenting. For my own parenting, there's like, okay, let let me parse out what was just unhealthy practices. And then there's like, 
what was great, what was necessary. And one of those things, I guess, in terms of like race was like, I need to, I need to get out in front of this, like in the sense that like, I don't want you to be shocked that when you leave this house, the rest of the world may not consider your brownness beautiful, but in your home, I want to fortify you and have you see so many images of sort of beauty, success, trial, failure, you know, hard times, good times to get a full gambit of the personhood of what it means to be black. I had posters all over my house of like, you know, one of them still here when the, uh, a picture of uh, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X the day they met and they're shaking like that was in my, remember that as a child, you know what I'm saying? So these images, um, I was like, I want to do that with my children, that they're just saturated with images of beauty for who they are. I grew up in a very different context, obviously, because I'm not a black man. <laughs> also, because my parents, they just really loved being Mexican. Like, we have a lot of pride, you know, around their nationality. I grew up in Mexico for most of my childhood, and so I learned how to read and write Spanish, and so I have a very strong connection. Dualism is an important part of Alma's story as a bicultural woman and the daughter of Mexican immigrants. I had to kind of find a space for myself where I'm just like, okay, what, what do I feel like I am and, and what does that mean for me? And to me, that really helps me, my biculturalism, like really helps me to kind of broker that for my kids. We wanted to know, as parents raising children with brown bodies, what does it look like to raise your kids as peacemakers in the U.S.? Recognizing their role is going to look different than their white peers. Prop shared about the talk, the conversation Black people have about police, the talk that was given to him, the talk that he has given to others. He reflected on having this conversation recently with a young friend. And it's just, I had the talk, we all had it. It's like, hey, listen, you know, your white friends, when they're kids, are going to be allowed to make mistakes. They're going to be allowed to do stupid stuff. The reality is, dude, you're, you're a black boy and you just won't have that option. It's unfortunate, but it's the reality. This is the life of a brown body. You just don't get to be a dumb kid, right? So if this is the truth, here's how you can navigate this for your own safety. And here's how you can navigate this for the safety of the people around you. We are all we have, right? We are all we got. Nobody's looking out for us except for us. So if that's the case, then we need to not only hold each other responsible, but we also need to make an environment that's not gonna put us in a place where it's gonna cause danger, it's gonna cause trouble, it's gonna cause war, you know? So whether it's for your own safety or for the cause of peacemaking, you have to somehow take on a maturity greater than your years. It sucks, but it's just what it is, right? So with our children and with our children's friends, trying to lead them in that is, is to say like, hey, here's the reality, the system's unfair, it is what it is. You're not gonna be given the chances everybody else is gonna be given. I don't know what to tell you, that's just the life we're in, right? But it doesn't have to be that way. And maybe you, 
and your buddies can start that change. And how you start that change is just, first of all, being aware of the system. And when you have an opportunity to wage peace, step in and wage peace. Even if it's just as simple as like, hey, that guy down the street, man, he's not your enemy guy. Like we went to the same preschool, you know, we had the same, we had the same Sunday school teacher. I don't know, like that, 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 that you get to be that voice. About three quarters of Black and Asian Americans, and more than half of Hispanics, say they've experienced discrimination or have been treated unfairly because of their race or ethnicity. We have to be aware of the mental, emotional, and physical toll it takes on people to be expected to speak on behalf of their race or ethnicity. It's important to Alma that her daughter knows she's never obliged to represent an entire community. One of the things that I've tried to really teach my, especially my teenager right now, is to be able to like vocalize not feeling comfortable or not needing to do certain things with certain people. So how does that look within like racial discussions for me is saying like, hey, like I know you want me to represent my whole community as a Latinx person right now, but what I'm going to say is like, I don't, you know, I don't really feel like I can talk about that right now. Or like, why don't you tell me about yourself instead? Because often I think uh, we get put on the defensive, off, you know, in many times because we we buy into the idea that I'm here to teach y'all something and that it's yeah. solely my job as a brown person to deconstruct racism and to make this a better place for the world. <laughs> and And I'm just like, no, it's not, you know, and I think for me, it's really important to teach my girls that like, you know, as much as you want to step into spaces and be a peacemaker, like know your giftings too. And like, know the fact that like, if you're, this is not what causes you joy and causes you to feel like you're flourishing as an individual, like you don't have to be mom and dad part two. We're doing this work because we feel called to it. Like we feel like, well, this is like what we really are passionate about. But if you just want to dance or if you just want to be a photographer, I also want to give her that hope and like that option because I feel like oftentimes we, you know, we don't get that option as people. You know, we, we almost feel like we have to be the ones teaching out there. Or we have to undo it all. And it's like, no, it's time for some white kids to step up and do their work too. You Ooh, know? Amen. I would say like it's about marrying the idea of like, yeah, this is who we are and this is what it means that and, the, and this is the burden that comes with this. But also this is what our boundaries can look like and this yeah. is what hope can look like within that space because we don't want to burn out either. Yeah. We'll be right back. I'm Sarah, business development officer with a preemptive love. My favorite item in our shop is the scented candles because they smell so delicious. I feel good about my purchase because I feel like I'm part of someone's future. You can get your own scented candles along with other items like apparel, stationery, and accessories at preemptivelove.shop. Use the code PODCAST for 20% off one item. Okay, back to the episode. Don't go like this. I can tell the future. We're a broken record. I'ma say something, then I'm gonna regret it. And you'll put up a wall, and I'ma try to wreck it. Love is not love if it's never been tested. Why couldn't you just I wonder if it is not, you know, tokenizing or emotionally, spiritually, mentally taxing what you would say just to our listeners who are white, who are raising white kids. Is there anything you would like to speak into from your personal perspective? 
yeah, white supremacy is a white problem. And it's almost like, hey, talk amongst yourselves. Like Science Mike says this, and I've used it a bunch of times. And it's like, I shouldn't have to describe the smell of your boot leather while it's on my neck, you know? Uh, so don't make me diagnose and fix your problem. Like I am on the bottom end of your problem. So that's your thing. Hey, you know what? I'm going to go home and I'm going to try to raise the best kids possible. Can you please just kind of do the same? I'm going to go home and expose my children to a world that they're going to walk into that is very unfair and unjust because of this. Can you just kind of do the same, please? I have two words, humility and allyship. So humility, I would just say to parents out there raising white kids who are also themselves white, is you need to have a lot of humility to really learn and unpack your whiteness and to allow yourself to really go through that journey. And I can see why it's very like taxing and burdensome and why some folks just tap out and are like, yeah, whatever, these people are crazy. <laughs> or that's not, it's not that bad. It's fine. You know, like I get it. I get why that escape route is like way easier. And I know that white people get shut out and shut down from brown people when they're genuinely just asking a question, not out of hatred or ignorance or racism. They yeah. genuinely do not know. And the reason I can understand that because you know like seeing my parents as immigrants to this country being completely bought into the idea of it all and so i get ignorance like like being ignorant or like just not knowing like like beyond what you think is maybe like personal dynamics and relationships or like how people some people are and how some others aren't i get that there's there's a lot there and that sometimes it's when you ask a question out of true, just want, like, just really wanting to know something and you get completely shut out by, you know, a person who is at that, at that tipping point where they're just tapped out. Like, they're yeah. just like burnt out. They don't have time for one more question, you know, <laughs> in their And so when you, and when you're that person to step in and ask that question and it all blows up in your face, of course it's scary to come back and keep investigating. But I would just say, like, humble yourselves, you know, like, if you just, humble yourselves that time and keep asking and keep learning and keep inquiring you will learn sometimes when white people ask a question like that from someone and they get shut down they're like well never mind you know and i would say no not never mind that person just was not the right person for you to ask that question to. at that time yeah. at that time so just keep going you know like humble yeah. yourselves and just say hey that was that's what that was about And then allyships. If I were a white person raising white children, I would want my, my kids to be allies, to be really good allies. And that means like helping my children understand like that they're not better than anyone. There's no superiority or inferiority like in racial issues. It's not about that at all. And often that's what people make it about. And that's why it gets uncomfortable. But it's about being able to navigate like your kids and understanding that it's not about inferiority superiority, but that it's about power dynamics and how they work given your like complexion. It's important that if you're going to subvert power to do it in this specific kind of way where you're uplifting others that don't have power. Humility and allyship. What does it look like? Prop puts it this way. Imagine like you're the white parent and your 16 year old comes home and he's like, I got suspended. And the question comes to why, and it's like him and his like 
brown friend were messing around, but the teacher was going to let him off, but the brown kid was about to get in trouble. Take your son to Disneyland. If he's like, I wasn't going to let them just let him get in trouble. We were both doing it. That wasn't right. They were just doing that because he was, because he's not a white dude. You know what I'm saying? Like, man, pack your son up, take him to go get a burger. Like that's, that's allyship that he put himself on the line because he saw you had already trained this little boy to see those types of injustices. Before we go, I do have one quick question. Since this podcast is called Love Anyway, if you were to summarize what that means to you right now in this time and space, what is love anyway to you? If you feel like you have a legitimate, justifiable reason to walk away, but choose not to, that's the love anyway to me. Prop and Alma hosts the Red Couch Podcast, a place for candid conversations and interviews covering everything from pop culture to important social issues, all with a unique perspective, insight, and wit only they can bring. And they're going on tour. October 10th in Chicago, it's called the Hard to Love Tour, where actually some of the stuff we're talking about now, we're going to cover it. Like sometimes like love is just hard. And whether it's loving yourself, loving your past, loving your history, loving your situation. That's it for today, but we want to keep the conversation going. Visit our show notes at preemptivelove.org slash podcast, where you can find behind-the-scenes photos of Prop and Alma, links to the Red Couch podcast and tour schedule, book recommendations for talking to kids about race, and more. You'll also find a transcript for this episode, and you can catch up on previous episodes, too. Next week, join us for our Season 2 finale about immigration and remaking home. We'll feature Saira Siddiqui, a doctoral student who has grown quite the following on her blog, Confessions of a Muslim Mom. And we'll also speak with Sean Smucker, a writer whose work interviewing a Syrian refugee named Muhammad sparked a rich friendship Sean didn't know he was missing in his life. Learn more about what we do via Preemptive Love on Instagram and Twitter. Use the hashtag LoveAnyway to give feedback or start a conversation. This is Love Anyway, and I'm Erin Wilson. Thanks for listening. The Love Anyway podcast is written and produced by me, Kayla Craig, along with Ben Irwin and Erin Wilson. Skip Matheny is our digital production director. Johnny Craig is our audio editor. Our audio is mixed and mastered by Dylan Seals. Jeremy Courtney, Jessica Courtney, and J.R. Purcell are executive producers. Special thanks to Jason Petty and Alma Zaragoza Petty. Featured music was by Propaganda. Our theme music is by Roman Campbell. 